0: Thank you so much. Well, good morning, everybody. <laughs> hey, it is so good to be back um, and uh, be singing with you all, worshiping with you all. Thank you. Could we just give a hand to our appreciation for our worship team? i um, so grateful. Um, this week of thanks, um, uh, we're thankful to, to be together. And uh, I heard this past Monday uh, was your favorite chapel because you got out like you know, after 12 minutes. And uh, and so anyway, yeah, as you maybe saw the little hiccup on the schedule, it was supposed to be this guy to my left um, who really needs no introduction. I'll, I'll introduce him in a moment. Um, and sickness in the family took him out for a while. And then I was stepping in and then I got laid up with something over the weekend. It wasn't COVID. I took three tests to make sure, but it was something. So finally back and and better uh, today. And so now uh, you have both of us. (laughs) We're we're both here. Uh, But no, uh, Peter will be speaking today. um, And then both he and I are going to be following up uh, part two today and having a dialogue discussion in response to your questions that you may have around this particular one another that Peter's going to address today. So on Monday, it'll be both of us up here on stage dialoguing around some specific questions around what it means to speak truth to one another. And as we're talking about this one another journey that we've been on and journeying through these one another's in the New Testament, while we live in a culture that tries to other other people, um, we don't really have that option as, as followers of Christ. We are called to one another other people, if that makes sense. And so this is a key and a crucial one that we'll be talking about today. And uh, really grateful for opportunity to hear from somebody who I really feel probably doesn't need any introduction on this campus, um, but a dear brother and friend of mine, uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner, um, who is way smarter, talented, and better looking than myself.
1: And he's... Uh, yes, yes. Yes, Actually, of yes. course. Just yes. agree. Just receive no, it. I mean, yeah. Just, yeah. We're
0: speaking the truth to one another. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, exactly. We're practicing yeah, right no, now. It's perfect.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: But with that in mind, Would you put a hand out as we pray over um, our dear brother here as he shares with us? So, Father in heaven, thank you so much that we can call you our Father. Thank you that you have reconciled us to to yourself. You have redeemed us. Thank you that you have uh, transformed us from being enemies into being your beloved sons and daughters because of the great love with which you have loved us. And thank you that we can be together. Thank you that you've brought... Uh, your servant and our dear brother here, uh, Dr. Kapsner, and I pray that as he speaks and shares from your word to us, again, that our hearts would be good soil to receive your word, Father, that your truth would bring freedom and would release us to truly receive the abundant life and to live and express that abundant life um, as we go about our day today and this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, Amen. 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 Um, So you can
1: keep walking off, Chapel Boy, but I do have a couple nice uh, comments for you uh, here today. So um, this is hard for me to reciprocate kind words to you, uh, Justin, because you know how much your little perfect hair and perfect beard drive me wild, uh, given that I'm significantly challenged in those areas. But uh, knowing that you're leaving about a month from today from this position, and just reflecting a bit on our friendship, uh, I think I can say out loud to the community, that you asked me to give a reference for you on behalf of the ministry venture into which you're headed. And, uh, and I was so delighted to do so. And the reason why I was delighted is because in the, in the privacy, as it were, of that conversation with the organization that you're joining as they asked me about you, I was able to um, unashamedly say that you are a person behind the scenes and outside of the visibility of your position who is the same when you're on the scene and within the visibility of your position and that integrity of who you are not perfect but care about who jesus is and want to bring his kingdom into this world in a way that is tasteable and touchable is something uh, that i will greatly miss in our friendships in our conversations in our texts in the random ways you pop into my room where i'm teaching and all of what that is so i am in just entirely grateful for your friendship. I used to think that I needed 20 or 30 friends in life somehow. That was never going to be attainable anyway. But uh, I've come to realize that two or three good friends on the journey is maybe all that we need. And so I'm grateful for our friendship as it has been, and I'm grateful for what I'm sure will still come in the years ahead. So thank you, Justin, for all of what you've done for the community here at Northwestern. That was not speaking the truth in love. I felt obligated to say that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Delighted to be with you. I am not happy about this topic, speaking the truth in love, uh, because that means you have to speak the truth. And uh, that isn't always the easiest thing to do in our passive-aggressive Minnesota environments. And it sometimes isn't the easiest thing to do in church or in Christian communities, and that's often because of our views of God or what might be going on behind the scenes in our heart if we're to pull back the curtain. And what I mean by that is how we present ourselves within a Christian body such as this, if you are like me, is often quite different than who I am behind the scenes or at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning when I'm grappling with some of the, the things that are true about the interior world of my soul, stuff I don't want to talk about at parties. And so we are going to talk a little bit about the truth of those things today, but My hope is in this, is that in bringing some things to light, that it doesn't feel like a hammer to do so. Uh, It always drives me wild when theological or or self-subscribed theological gatekeepers wield truth and it feels like a hammer. It makes me want to take a hot s'mores fork and poke my eyeballs out when that happens. Um, I was talking with my friend over at Faith Radio a couple weeks ago and I said, you know, I wish I was a a fly. I think flies have eight eyeballs and that would give me more opportunity to to rip some of those out and uh, and still be okay. Uh, The truth, when you speak it, it, it it is intended to bring things to light and when those things are brought to light in the hands of a beautiful God of Ahava, a beautiful God of love, it gives us hope then in those really difficult places in our soul that we just wonder if we'll ever find hope. And so I hope as I say some things moving forward here in just a couple minutes about what, are, what is likely true in our community of faith, that you will start getting tastes taste of hope from that, that it won't feel like a hammer, it will feel like hope. And we need to do this work because in the early church, evangelism or bearing witness to the kingdom was less about your ability to go tell the theological story to somebody in a mall somewhere. And evangelism has always driven me nuts to some extent because I thought, really, I'm going to go to Rosedale. I'm going to pick somebody out, tell them how much of a sinner they are, and tell them to pray some magic prayer on the spot right now. It just wasn't something that uh, I could get my head around. And thankfully within the early church, when you read from Acts chapter two, it's their lived life together. It is who they are together, relationally, in community, how they treat one another, how they see one another, how they talk to one another, how they manifest the beautiful power of the Spirit in their midst that then is compelling to the world around them in a way that the world says, something is really different about all of you there. Tell me about that. And from that visible, expressed relational difference of the community, you're able to then say something along the lines of, well, let me tell you about the God-man who came to earth and suffered on the cross but broke open all of the power of sin and death, and that tomb now stands empty, and we live by a resurrection power beyond ourselves among us in which we can naturally but supernaturally see the gift of love flow among us in ways that this world knows nothing. And it shines a beautiful evangelistic light. It bears witness to something in this world. But as I say that about what the church or what the community is meant to be, I'm mindful of the fact that the recent uh, statistics would show that your generation in particular, but even my ancient generation, is increasingly disinterested in attending an organized church. And this is where speaking the truth about maybe why that might be comes into play this morning. So, Justin, again, thank you for this brutal topic (laughs) uh, to talk about. So, I reflected on that a little bit. reflected on my 18 years that I've been teaching, my 30 years in vocational ministry in different kinds of environments, my what feels like sacred eight years here at Northwestern. And by sacred, I mean just the wonderful spaces I've had a chance to spend with all kinds of people like yourselves a hundred minutes out of whack on a Tuesday or a Thursday in the classroom, and and what gets shared in those spaces. And and from those, those sacred spaces, you've revealed a bit of your journey for me. And these are things that are familiar outside of this environment as well, but clearly here are some of the things that are true about us as a Christian community seeking to bear witness. What's true about us, remember this isn't a hammer, this is meant to bring us into a place of hope and freedom. What's true about us is probably in the 15 minutes or so between when your last class ended and coming to chapel today, there was a significant percentage of you that checked out a little bit of pornography on your phone. And if not in those 15 minutes in between classes on your way to chapel, certainly within the last 24 hours, uh, probably 36, undoubtedly in the last 72 hours, living that journey of shame and uh, fear and of disappointment in oneself and getting hooked yet again by it, promising never to do it again, and yet finding yourself clicking on that link again some 24, 36, or 72 hours later, wondering if there's any sense of freedom or hope, wondering why now in the repeated engagement with it that you are seeing people around you, dear brothers and sisters and imagers, through the lens of sexual potentiality before you can even see them. Thus, the devastation of porn, probably true, undoubtedly true among us. I think it's some 95% uh, within the Christian community. And seeing it play out, out, not just here, but in other environments, something that's probably true, we don't talk about that. But if we can bring it into the light, maybe there would be some hope. Other things that might be true about us, undoubtedly there are some in us that in this last week have lied to our parents. Now my son is sitting in the front row here, right here, and so uh, Caleb, let me just ask you, have you lied to me in the last week or so? It's not, you know. I'm gonna say no. Okay, you're gonna say no. So, <laughs> so, thanks for lying about your lack of lying. <laughs> that was easy, <laughs> no. So undoubtedly, uh, for reasons potentially what seem explainable, uh, we have, or, or you have, all of us have on some level perhaps deceived another beautiful image bearer In order to gain some kind of advantage or to maybe play a bit uh, of pretend, thus creating a fracture between me and that imager in some kind of way that is not resolvable because you're not actually who you are, now we're in the game of pretend. I remember not necessarily being an overt deceiver, specifically at your age, but I remember playing the game of Christian pretend which in a certain kind of way is a deception where I pretend everything looks good and I go into any given social environment trying to read the relational cues of that environment and then trying to act according to in that environment to, to those social cues because I didn't want to experience the relational rejection that would be possible. And boy, that's a tiring life, is it not? To play the game of chameleon? I remember when I would then go to bed that night and just think, I am exhausted. I've got to get up the next day and play this game of pretend, this game of fraud. Again, there's probably many of us here in this room that feel like Christian frauds. Uh, I know we've been talking about this in my classes quite a bit over these last few weeks and months uh, and even years about uh, we don't really know if this whole kingdom journey is true. Filled with doubt and concerned and wondering about God's faithfulness, trying to hang on for your dear life, stuff we don't want to talk about because the people that we extol and put up front are always the strong Christians, but there's something that must be wrong with us. And yet when we talk about it in our classes, pretty much all 30 of us are like, yep, we feel a bit fraudulent from time to time. I know that this was, would never be true of any of you, but I remember when I was an undergrad at Bethel, Yeah, I know, I know. It's I know. It's that was a difficult season in my life. It was, you know, the wilderness. I get it. I get it. So I know none of this is true of you, but I remember thinking, drinking alcohol, there's nothing in the Bible that says I can't drink alcohol, and so I raged against that covenant machine. Hate, I was like, you are making me sign this covenant. It's unbiblical. And so I remember uh, in my junior year, my buddy and I lived off campus in Polynesian Village Apartments. I don't know why we chose that place, but we did. Uh, and we lived on the ground level and we were dumb enough to leave our sliding glass door open because we didn't, couldn't be bothered to walk all the way down the hall to unlock the front door. So we'd pull up, park, and walk in. And uh, my then girlfriend, I think fiance probably at that point was living with an RA on campus at Bethel and that RA for reasons that I still don't understand like to run, why would you ever like to run? You run if you're chased and that's about it. <laughs> so she ran and she would run from Bethel to our apartment in Polynesian village. And she had the gall, she had the nerve to slide open our private glass door and walk into our apartment and open up the refrigerator because she's probably thirsty from the dumb running, and she found a six-pack of beer in our refrigerator, thus creating a profound moral dilemma for the RA, who is a mandatory reporter of such things, but she's also living with my then fiance. What does she do? And being the spiritual giant that you know and would guess that I was back then, I may have used phrases like breaking and entering related to what she did (laughs) in an attempt to stop her from reporting us. So I know none of you in the last month or so have gone to parties or maybe out to a bar, have broken the lifestyle statement, maybe like me raging against the machine. You know, I didn't know at that time what maybe it was costing me to put my integrity in ink on a piece of paper. Even though something was unbiblical, I still realized that I could act in a way related to it that was immoral. And I, it took me a little while to recover my integrity in those places. To, to disagree, but to still be a person of integrity was something that I needed to to learn, or perhaps some of you, many of you have, uh, are in a relationship and maybe in ways that you didn't anticipate when you came on campus for the first time and started your journey here at Northwestern, that you have been with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and it's late at night and a, a Netflix show is streaming and um, you begin to round those bases as it were and find yourself now one fleshed to another person. Or maybe quite a few people, and don't really know what to do about that. And wonder if you could ever walk down an aisle and have it be real, whether you could stand up in front and greet a spouse and have it be real, wonder about the confusion and the pain. There's so many things that we could talk about. And what I'll suggest to you is perhaps the reason why young people, but even people from my generation, are increasingly disinterested in attending the organized church is because they know, as we know, that if you were to pull back the curtain of what's actually happening among us, beautiful but struggling imagers, uncertain about what to do with the private sin that frayed ever to make it into the light, and people say, why, why would I want to be a part of that? To what are exactly are they bearing witness? How are they even different? In fact, they are just maybe that much more in bondage. You might as well just celebrate all of these things so you can be free <laughs> in the weird version of freedom that that is. I think there's a lot of reasons why we find ourselves in these places of profound hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is just simply that my inner world where my dispositions and my attitudes and my values are, the seat of my heart, my inner world that is unseen, but the things that I actually have desire for or things that I'm actually doing in that unseen realm is different than what I show out here. I remember when Jesus would talk to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law and he would call them hypocrites, he would use the phrase, you know, you look, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but inside you're filled with the bones of dead men. And, and I know the journey well as a follower of Jesus of what it feels like to try to clean myself up on the outside to survive another day within Christendom, while inside I just feel like another bone is piling up. And if we're going to speak the truth, if we're going to be a community that speaks the truth, then we have to speak the truth. There's no hope in Christian games. There's no hope in Christendom fraud. It would be the definition of insanity to keep banging our head against the wall, doing the same thing over and over and over again, and expect a different results. And so the question becomes, how did we get here, and maybe what can we do about such things? Well, I'm sure we'll cover some of this ground next Monday in our Q&A time about how we got here and what we can do, a couple comments perhaps about how we got here. Uh, Among the reasons, uh, perhaps, is we have lost a sense of what the church is meant to be. You see, the church, the ecclesia of the New Testament, is meant to be a place where people are following Jesus through the power of the Spirit, bonded together in love as the Spirit's temple, shining the light in the world around them. And how those people gather together is absolutely irrelevant. But the church, at least in our country, in the sort of weird version of it, over these last maybe 50 years in particular, has actually become a business. And we hear this sometimes, church is a business, right? And I'm always like, you show me that one in the Bible somewhere, I dare you. Maybe it's in Ephesians 16 and I just haven't read it yet. You know, church is a business. (laughs) But because church is a business, we end up with a lot of ministries trying to build their own private brands and personal brands and using the imagers in order to grow their businesses. Did you ever know you were called giving units at certain times? to grow the budgets of brand-building businesses masquerading as churches. And we think churches are denominations and steeples and signs and hierarchies and staff and budget. The churches are simply the people of God, following Jesus by the power of the Spirit, shining His light in the world through the way that they live their life together, independent of how they might gather but we've spent so much time building brands that maybe we don't know what it means to go into those inner lives of the soul where the power of the Spirit can set us free from the law of sin and death and we can actually come to life. We're just talking in my sexuality class as we speak about what it means to move out of behavior management and pornography, uh, out of just trying to get accountability groups and texting buddies and net nanny and all of what we do, understandably so, but what does it mean for the Spirit to enter those unseen places of the heart to break us free from the power of sin and death where no longer do we see through the lens of sexual potentiality, we see one another as authentic image bearers. Free. I don't remember the last time that I heard this kind of thing in many of the brand-building organizations. I met with a detective this last weekend, which just that phrase makes me cooler than I actually am. (laughs) But this detective is now, he he put a lot of his forensic ability into um, analyzing ministries and and just the veracity of the resurrection and a number of Christian things. And he said, you know, the fall of Ravi Zacharias, which was just simply one of many, as we know, over these last 10 years is a result of the brand-building kind of organization. He said, in my time as a detective, people would commit murder for one of three reasons. One was because of lust. Two was because of money. Three was because of power. And Rabbi Zacharias was a 74-year-old ugly dude, he said. It's like how in the world did he end up in a place where he was having sex with all kinds of women uh, and and having massage parlors behind the scene? He said it's because his brand that he was able to build brought with it substantial and significant power. And the money that then flowed from that place as well led to the kind of situation in which his staff stayed in one hotel and they brought Rabbi. They protected the golden goose, as it were, because he had built that brand, leveraging the kingdom on behalf of personal gain. And he was staying in the luxury hotels. And from that place, then slipped into that last part of the lust and the sex. And we see that pattern repeated over and over and over again. This is the truth, this is what it means to say the things out loud that we don't wanna talk about at parties. Talk about that a little bit more I'm sure next Monday. A second reason perhaps why we end up in this place is something that I just referenced is that unfortunately for so many of us, we've come to believe that the gospel, the good news of the kingdom is only something related to what happens to us after we die. I was listening to N.T. Wright a couple of weeks ago and he said, you know, we're constantly coming to the Bible trying to find the mechanism by which we can assure ourselves for the afterlife. He said the Bible is not prepared to answer that question. For salvation in the biblical text is a rescuing. It's a healing. It's a dynamic power at work in present space. And the good news of the gospel is that it sets us free from the power of sin and death that wreaks such havoc among us. There is actually a God. Sometimes I'll ask in class, did you know that God is real? Are, are you in relationship with ideas about God or are you in relationship with an actual God who by his spirit dwells among us? And ha- have you ever been able to taste his redemptive resources that are ever at hand? Because if I don't know that God, I don't want to bring my deceit into the light. I don't want to bring my one fleshness into the light. I don't want to bring my porn into the light. I don't want to bring my doubts and my fears and all of that stuff into light. But what if there was actually good news? Justin and I, I think if I can use your name here, Justin and I just did, so tough. Um, We talk often, do we not, about one of my concerns and one of our concerns is that there's so many people that think they have met Jesus and found him wanting. And my fear is the way that the organized church has presented this Jesus through the theological gatekeepers was never Jesus to begin with. So we have just a few more minutes here today before we kind of bridge into then next Monday, Um, but stay with this last part because there is some hope in this, is that when you taste of the Jesus of the kingdom, there's hope. When you taste of the truth about which we're trying to speak, it begins to set you free. It never feels like a hammer. It brings freedom. And a couple things that I know about this God of this kingdom, that in my own fear of my own 50 years on earth of not wanting to bring my own sin into the light, that is compromising our ability to bear witness to the beautiful kingdom around us. That not bringing into the light was based out of fear. But that's because I didn't know who God was. So if we just walk through these four things really quickly, just kind of put them all together in this logical (laughs) argument, a little view of... God is this. The biblical text says that God is love. That's what the biblical text, for all of us sola scriptura people out here, we have to reckon with that fact. God is love. Sometimes we think God has a posture of this big angry being in the sky who had to blow apart his son on the cross in order to somehow tolerate us in his presence. And so we're sinners in the hands of an angry God, we think. That's an interesting theological notion, perhaps not a biblical one. God is love. And can somebody fill in the phrase for me, number two? What does perfect love do? Perfect love casts out what? Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> you must be doing a want here at Northwestern, Justin. <laughs> God is love, number one. Perfect love casts out fear. So if you're living in fear, if I'm living in fear, why are we afraid? You tell me, biblically, why are we afraid? God does take people out, but it's always the rebellious, hard-hearted, the fish-shaking people who know better and yet decide to resist God anyway and try to lead his kingdom astray. But for his sad and broken and hidden imagers, he moves towards them with a perfect kind of love that casts out fear. So if you're living in fear related to the pulling back of the curtain, you don't know God. Third part, fear, our our love is defined in the biblical text as a tender-hearted, other-centered, passionate compassion. God actually likes us, a tender-hearted, passionate compassion that will never leave nor forsake, but will seek the wholeness of another person above oneself. Just think about being in the hands of that kind of being, a passionate, compassionate, other-centered king of a kingdom who never leaves nor forsakes and will seek your wholeness, even if it costs him everything. No wonder I don't have to be afraid. And the last part of this is that God's love, his beautiful ahava, agape hesed love of the biblical text was demonstrated by this, that while we were yet sinners, right in the midst of our porn, right in the midst of our one fleshness, right in the midst of our doubt, our unfaithfulness, our deceit, Right in the midst of all that, while we were yet. While we were yet. In the middle of clicking on the link, he is coming for you. While we are yet. God's not fussed by that stuff. He's fussed by his imagers who will otherwise be just torn apart by the sin that is so hidden. Bring it into the light. That is the truth of who we are. But there's even a better truth that greets us. For God is for us and he can begin to set us free from the power of sin and death. There is good news. And if we as a community can begin to live in the reality of the biblical good news of the God who is for us and sets us free from the power of sin and death, that tomb is empty, there's a resurrection power, we can begin to shine an evangelistic light in a world that desperately needs it. So we'll stop there for today. I'd love to pray with you as we go, and then we'll pick this up again on Monday. bearers in this room, I pray that you um, would give them a taste of your kingdom in a way that will bring just a little drink of water to the soul today. Let us get a good glimpse of you, of the Father who loves us, and will move into us and after us in our sin. Thank you for your grace. Blessings on our day. We pray these things in the power of the Spirit. Amen. Blessings as you go.